Welcome to Netfront Presence. I'm Jeff Gordon, the Post Dispatch, joined by the beat reporters, Jim Thomas, and just on board, acquired from the Dallas Morning News, Matt DeFranks. How are we doing, guys? We're doing good. We, we were able to squeeze uh, Matt in under the salary cap, so that was good. Well, Didn't take that much room. <laughs> well, Matt, okay, so let's start by having Matt tell us about yourself, <laughs> uh, what you've done professionally, a little bit about yourself, because you're uh, you're going to find that uh, Blues fans will be highly interested in uh, your work. It's a passionate fan base. So tell us a little bit about Matt Franks. Yeah, so uh, currently in my sixth year of covering the NHL, uh, just finished four and a half years in Dallas, covering the stars for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, you know, I obviously got to cover a fair bit of uh, of news down there. Uh, you know, the Winter Classic, a Stanley Cup final run, uh, obviously Game 7. In 2019 in St. Louis, uh, there was the Jim Montgomery fire, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of different things that were were going on uh, in Dallas uh, when I was down there, and even before I was down in Dallas, I was uh, covering the Panthers for the Sun Sentinel uh, for a season back in 17-18. Uh, so uh, it's been uh, quite a ride uh, covering hockey, and happy to be in St. Louis. Well, and just uh, kind of give us your perspective of what you saw of this team having you know seen that great playoff series and of course then you know which i think the stars could have gone on and 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 won the cup i mean but it just came down to an inch here and an inch there and then you you watch what the blues did and then of course how the franchises struggled a bit um to to recapture that just looking at it from a distance what did you think of the blues um during that run and then what's happened since then yeah, it's kind of crazy to look back at that game seven. Uh, you know, I was just talking about it last night when I was reminiscing about the game seven with the Calgary and, and Dallas last year. Um, but that game seven in St. Louis was was a lot of blues and a lot of Ben Bishop. And you wonder about Jamie Ben's wraparound and what happens and how how different uh, the paths for the two franchises are. If it's a few inches here and there, uh, if Jamie Ben's wraparound goes in in overtime there. Uh, what happens with the Blues? Obviously, they don't win the Cup, but what happens with the you know the the roster and and how they move forward? And obviously, with the Stars, uh, they went into that offseason and felt like they were that close to a Stanley Cup uh, because they saw you know how close they were to being the beating the Blues, and I don't think they thought much of the Sharks um, and uh, and the Bruins. So it, it was interesting to see that from a different lens. Uh, you know, I remember that that Pat Maroon goal uh, in nineteen, and and I didn't even. I couldn't even see who scored from, from my perch in the, the visiting, <laughs> visiting side of the press box. Uh, so it was a, a kind of a great moment to, to be at and to witness. Well, yes, for the blues JT. And uh, so now we move forward and uh, you know, this team continues to, uh, it's been an interesting year where they've been all over the map. And just when you think JT, that this team has run its course since that great run. And, you know, with, Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko possibly exiting with expiring contracts. Things not looking great for the team. Just when you're the injuries mounting 90, 91 out, just when you think there's, there's really no hope, a tough road trip. Um, somehow they win three games there. They come back from the grave to beat the, the flames to start the homestand. Uh, JT, this team um, say what you can say a lot of things about it, but one thing is that it, this team is not quite JT. No, no. Uh, as you mentioned last night, uh, before the game even started, they're 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 uh, they're certainly not quitting on the, on the coach, quitting on themselves, and uh, 
you know, if they if they made one of the uh, NFL films, remember those old highlight videos with the voiceovers by John Facenda and they had the goofy titles. Uh, you know, I think we might have Facenda for the blues. If they did one right now, it would be. There we go. St. Louis Blues, 22-23. Expect <laughs> the unexpected, you know, and that would be the that would be the highlight film. They had uh, expended so much energy uh, in Minnesota, uh, excuse me, in Montreal on Saturday night. And that's one of the good things of, you know, we're back, we're around, we're in the locker room, we're down in the hallways. And you could just see how tired the players were. Several players had ice packs on their their ankles or their, uh, you know, their hands, their knees, whatever. And they just looked tired. And I'm like, and, and you knew Thomas Grice would be starting. And, and you're, I'm thinking they're going to get the crap kicked out of them by Minnesota on Sunday and they go in there and they win three to nothing. And I, I think this game was, was just as improbable against Calgary because uh, uh, the, the blues uh, had won only twice all year uh, where they trailed by more than two goals at, at any one point. And both those games went into uh, extra time and uh, they looked so flat. They looked, they, they didn't have their legs. We've seen a lot guys, when you come off a long road trip, that first, that first home game, you just don't quite have the juice, but uh, I don't know what uh, uh, Barubi said to the team between the second and third periods. And, you know, everyone assumes, oh, he was yelling at him. I, I don't think it was it, a lot of times, probably most of the time. It's not that, but which never told us the players and the coaches were talking together like it was some communal thing. Uh, Barubi said, no, no, no. I, I was doing all the talking. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they came out, they find, found their energy. That Alexandrov goal was just, uh, was just huge to kind of get him, get him jump started in the, uh, in the third period. But yeah, like you said, uh, you said, uh, Jeff, uh, you, you don't know what to expect from day to day. It'll be just like this club. They'll get back in the, the race. Uh, they'll be right there in the playoffs. Uh, Armstrong will be thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll just keep these guys. Then O'Reilly and Tarasenko will show up again and then they'll tank. That'll, that'll probably be the next step. So. So Matt, you looked at that second period and uh, it was described as like a, um, a knitting club by the elevator operator um, after the game, because there was dead silence at enterprise center. It was just awful. There was nothing happening. And, you know, and then, I don't know, what do you think? Just ammonia sniffing? I mean, uh, the, the, you're getting to know the chief a little bit. He's pretty fiery. Uh, how do you go from just having nothing to coming out just flying in the third and really earning those two goals? Yeah, it wasn't much going on in second period. And, you know, I, I promised I'll try to keep the Dallas references to a minimum. But I, I've seen a ton of Rick Bonus hockey in Dallas, and uh, it's pretty boring or in hockey, low event hockey, and, and that second period in particular last night uh, reminded me of one of those periods. So, yeah, they weren't generating much uh, in terms of quality chances in the offensive end, and, you know, they gave up a little bit uh, in, in their own zone. Um, I thought it was funny last night how Ruby said, yeah, you know, they, they don't really talk much in the room there. It's, it's mostly just me doing, doing all the talking, and, um, you know, just kind of interesting to see a different dynamic uh, with, a, with a team and a group of players. But, you know, the third period, they really, they were skating more. Um, they found found some more jump. And it was pretty evident. I think that sits the first eight shots on goal. And, you know, that that 28-second span where Alexandrov and Kairou both scored to tie the game uh, really got the crowd back into it, too. I mean, that that second period, uh, Enterprise Center was pretty quiet. And 
and suddenly they get some momentum, get the crowd into it, and uh, they get rolling. So it was an interesting contrast to see from from the second period in particular to see uh, how they kind of came back in the third. Well, well, JT, I guess the most amazing thing about all of this, you know, the three and one road trip, the uh, the victory, uh, and in general uh, lack of the fact that they've been able to get some points here. Um, boy, they are talking about makeshift uh, blue line. My goodness, you know, you're missing, you lose Tory Krug, who wasn't having a great year, but he's still, you know, Tory Krug. You, Robert Bortuzzo, dependable penalty killer, shot blocker, adds toughness. He's out. Nick Letty's been playing. You know, I've been arguing miscast to knew his top four role and miscast as a defensive defenseman, but he's playing big minutes for you. You take those guys out and it's the great Santini and it's uh, Tyler Tucker getting in the NHL again. And it's Callie Rosen having to play a bigger role than this, than he's used to as, as basically a, an extra guy. And now uh, Nico Mikola having to play a top four role. And that's certainly a, a bit of a stretch for him. You add all that up JT. And yet somehow it has often been ugly they managed to get points with those guys. The Springfield uh, Thunder Blues, is that what we should uh, <laughs> call them out, out there? I mean, uh, yeah, uh, it's amazing. I, I'm a firm believer that uh, a hungry player, at least in the short term, can can equalize talent. I mean, the, the, these guys that are in it now, right now uh, aren't as – even if you count some of the forwards, you know, Alexandra, Pitlick, uh, Walker, all those guys getting playing time uh, – uh levo although not 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 lately but uh they're not as talented as the guys are replacing but these are all guys that are that are hungry to to get any kind of nhl playing time and to, and, to, and to get notice and, and a hungry player again in the short term i think is can be a very powerful thing santini we were kidding him in the morning skate uh be, be, before uh yesterday's game about how the first four times he had the puck in the offensive zone in minnesota you know, only his, like his playing, what, maybe his fourth regular season NHL game in about like four years. Anyway, then he shot the puck all four times. And he basically said, Hey, I, I don't know when I'll be back here or if I'll ever be back here, I'm just going to go for it. And so you have a lot of that uh, uh, going on uh, with these guys. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's been refreshing to see again, it, it, you know, logic tells you it won't have staying power over, you know, 10 games or 20 games, but uh, so far it's been uh, pretty impressive to watch. Well, Matt, we did learn something too. You, you call up a, still another uh, defenseman from Springfield who's only had a, a tiny taste of the NHL, but he brings with him a great saying about uh, what uh, neighbors are like fish after three days, they start to smell something along those lines, I guess an old Russian uh, saying as he was uh, talking about, I guess, what Torp was at uh, referencing Torp staying with Torpchenko. So, um, yeah, it just they keep digging and reaching for guys. And, and, and you know the difference between the AHL for guys who have been stuck there, like a Santini, like a Rosen for much of his career, um, for Tucker as a prospect. Man, that's just, there's just a big difference in play. I mean, it, you come up here, and this thing is so much faster for these guys, and it's hard to maintain it um, at this pace for guys who just – haven't been playing at this pace yeah i mean it's not only just the speed of the game but also the skill of the game especially for for defensemen you you see the, these top six forwards that um that they're tasked with shutting down and especially a guy like tucker last night paired with falk in, in the top four he's getting those assignments getting those uh those matchups uh, against you know top six players and it, it is just different um you know, I think it was funny just thinking about the defensive depth and looking at the second power play unit. 
and Callie Rosen is, is at the point because Pareko's on, on the half wall and Pareko's there because Falk is on the first unit and Falk is there because Krug is hurt. And it's just kind of a domino effect of, uh, of guys filling into roles where they're not really supposed to be in the NHL. Uh, but, you know, as JT said, you know, I'm not sure how long it, it can kind of go this way uh, with, with all the, the injuries on the back end. And we'll see what happens with Nick Luddy and, and Robert Bortuzzo and when they come back. Uh, but it's, it's things tend to slot back into place once you get one or two guys back in the lineup and uh, things to look, uh, tends to look a little bit more normal. Well, JT, one thing we're getting a look at, you know, we've wondered a lot here on the net front what the Blues might look like. Uh, with uh, 90 and 91 gone, if that's the, the fate of the franchise. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, they're the new building blocks. These are the guys that have to take the franchise forward. There's a lot of good veterans around them, but, you know, this is the commitment to these two. Uh, they really stepped up against Calgary after doing a lot of watching, I guess, on the road trip where, where Brandon Saad and, and uh you know, Pavel Buchnevis played well, and and uh, gosh, uh, it just some of the veteran guys that you would expect, Braden Shen playing very very well, but it, Thomas and Kyrie were so critical to this uh, to this team, and boy, they had a they had a game against Calgary, and of course, it finished with the uh, the great play in, in overtime. Well, first off, for our listeners wondering what the hell Jeff was talking about with the fish, he was talking about Dmitry Samurkov. He's the new blue. He had another good saying, too. You know, I've often referred to the uh, to the uh, power plays, the candy store for players. And I think he he he, he thinks that Samurkov because I asked him if he played any uh, power play in Springfield. He said, no, I leave the dessert to others. So <laughs> he's, he's willing to just play uh, PK. But, yeah, you're right that that line. uh of uh of Buchnevich, Thomas and Cairo played together a decent amount last year and they were very dynamic and uh they had been they hadn't played as much this year before the current run of injuries but they had been very good and they started out the first game or two very good and then you're right Jeff they really flattened out the rest of the trip the trip was all basically the I call them the no nonsense line with uh with uh uh Barbashev uh Shen and sod that they had done all the heavy lifting, but boy, last night when that uh, two on one break started, I, I, I just said to myself, though, there go the, the two $65 million men down the ice. And uh, those are the guys that they're, they're counting on. And, and when, when they signed them to that, when Doug Armstrong signed them to the contracts, uh, he was basically saying, not only is this the future of the team, it's the present of the team. So they need to step up. And they, they certainly did step up. I sure wouldn't whenever O'Reilly and Tarasenko come back and we think it'll be right after the, uh, the all-star break and, and, the, and the, and the blues bye week. I, I, I wouldn't mess with that line. I wouldn't mess with the, uh, the Shen line as constituted. What do you guys not, what do you think of uh, this line? I was thinking, so what do you do with O'Reilly and Tarasenko? So I was thinking neighbors, O'Reilly, Tarasenko as your third line. Sorry guys. And uh, and then you you drop a Chari down to the the fourth line. Ooh, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think uh, Chari is probably more more suited for a fourth line role uh, instead of you know kind of getting the, those third line minutes that he's gotten with all the injuries. And uh, you know, I, I think a lot about line construction. You, you have O'Reilly, the the two way guy, responsible on his own end. You have neighbors who can forecheck and win battles and did pucks out along the boards and. You have Tarasenko, the shooter. So it's it's a nice balance. Uh, you may be missing a little bit of playmaking ability 
especially given O'Reilly's struggles with assists this year. And, and obviously neighbors doesn't quite have that uh, top ends NHL offensive ability yet uh, at this point in his career. But so I think you might be missing a little bit of playmaking on that line, but the, the other elements uh, of a successful line could be there in terms of uh, balance uh, up the middle and then kind of forechecking ability on the left and shooting on the right. I'm going to throw another one at Matt and force him to talk about the stars just one more time. The, uh, the Cairo and Thomas commitment, uh, very critical for this franchise to have a couple guys like that and to have a couple guys like that without having to absorb the ritual beatings that some of these teams have, have taken in order to draft players with, with high end skill to get up in the draft lottery. It's hard to get talent like that uh, while you're still trying to compete. And the, the Dallas stars did the same. They got a really good, phenomenal goal scorer in Robertson, a very dynamic player. And hence really a lot of, from the standpoint of having two guys to build around, you know, I mean, you must see some real similarities in what the blues are hoping to do to what the stars did as they transition and, and peel off some of their veterans and, and try to move the franchise forward from, you know, that great uh, 2019 team. Yeah. I think I do see some similarities. There's some differences along the way, but, you know, I think you look at essentially three two or three different different windows right so so for the blues it was kind of their their cup run um and then kind of the ensuing window after that with when you had Petrangelo around you had uh you know, honestly we had Barbashev playing on the, the third or fourth or fourth line in in 19 uh so that was kind of the, the, the cup window when you have that group of guys and then you look at the the current and how that can kind of fits into that window of, of success. And the next one is, you know, hopefully the, the Bolduc neighbors, Snuggerud uh, wave. And, and you, that's kind of how the stars have, have built their organization is they kind of rebuilt on the fly by having these different waves. And first it was the Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, John Slingbird wave, and that got them to the cup final in 2020. And, and currently it's the, the hints Robertson, Hastin and Ottinger wave. And then, you know, they have come in and then the next sort of grouping, uh, Wyatt Johnston, uh, Logan Stankoven, who won a uh, gold within the world juniors with Canada and they have Maverick Fort down there too. So they have set up these ways by drafting well and, uh, and developing well and doing it from, you know, the late first round and the second round and, and they've found guys uh, deeper in the drafts. And I think the blues have done a decent job of doing that. Uh, in recent years, but you know the biggest difference between the two teams is uh, is Miro Haston. Really, the the Stars have that number one D man, and uh, he can be relied on in all situations uh, against anyone. And uh, the Blues are probably still looking for that. Yeah, I think it's been brought up by a fan or two that maybe uh, fifty five is not that guy. He's not Miro Haston, and and, uh, and understandably so. But JT, but on the plus side. Um, these guys are not likely to be uh, not necessarily top six forwards, but both uh, Jake Neighbors and uh, Nikita Alexandrov are making good use of their time uh, this time up, and particularly Nikita getting some production, which in his initial season in the AHL, he didn't put up much in terms of numbers. Certainly next tour was much better offensively. He kind of slots as a third liner, as I imagine Neighbors would uh, likely, and he occasionally playing up depending on who his line mates are to be the hardworking guy with two skilled guys, but up front anyways, those two guys uh, with 90, 91 out are getting some minutes and uh, so far so good JT. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I think just these last couple of games, I think neighbors is relaxing a little bit more, and we're starting to see, you know, uh, at least some of his skill come out. I mean, he had he had two or three really good chances uh, uh, last night, and uh, had a couple of good chances against Minnesota. Had that great assist on the uh, power play for the sod goal, which which stood up to the end. You know, it's the only goal in the. Uh, in the game. And we, we've talked about neighbors before. He's, he's not going to be a superstar, but I think he's a 15 to 20 goal guy and he'll play defense. He'll hit you. He, he, uh, uh, we can see he can play on the power play and he's, uh, he's a really good PK guy. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, he, he can do some things. Alexandrov's an interesting guy because he, uh, we, we, you know, we haven't talked about him. I I've seen him down at uh, Traverse city, but he, he, you know, uh, He's not nearly as ballyhooed. He was, this was just like a week after, week or so after the Stanley Cup win. It was that draft, and it was kind of an afterthought, the, the, the draft, but he was the first Blues player taken, but it wasn't until the end of the second round because they traded away the first round pick. But he's a, uh, you know, he's got a decent skill set, but uh, he's very, he's a savvy player. He's a very smart player. And uh, I had one blue scout. I mentioned this before. We referred to him as a young Tyler Bozak, and another say he reminds me of uh, uh, Lars Ellers. And and if if he can if he can have that kind of career, that's not a that's not a bad player to have. But yeah, it's the time for these guys is now, and then next year. You know, Matt was talking about uh, waves and windows of waves. Well, if uh, Snuggerud and and Bull Duke. I mean, that that's probably at least a year, maybe more like two or three away. We we talked last week before this, all these defensemen went down. But when it was just they were without Tarasenko and O'Reilly, this this might look a lot like their club next year, uh, because uh, uh, especially if they trade those two guys now, Tarasenko and O'Reilly, they unless they move other money, they're they're not going to have the cap room to to add established players so uh really important roles for for neighbors and for alexandrov and you know so far they look look pretty good yeah even though he's not going to be in the uh, mix soon i mean i wouldn't expect um a big impact uh next year you never know but uh matt uh, snuggaroo is the guy that um has taken a big step in his first year of college, uh, needed to get better with the skating was viewed as a pretty good playmaker, uh, had a good feel for the game, pretty good offensive, uh, puck retrieval guy. Uh, but he came in, he got in the world junior championships and he, he shot the puck quite a bit. And you'll, you'll notice with this team, Matt, they got some guys that are a little reluctant to shoot. Um, it seems like that was another from all indications are they may have found something pretty late in the draft. That's going to be useful with that, uh, that player. Yeah, and I spoke to him yesterday and, and wrote a story about him, uh, about his world juniors and kind of what comes next for for Jimmy Snuggerud. And uh, he finished third in the tournament in scoring uh, behind only Connor Bedard, who uh, was, it's crazy to see what he's doing two years younger than everyone at that tournament and was by far the best player there. And then uh, behind teammate Logan Cooley, uh, who's his line mate in Minnesota, who is a line mate at the uh, the U.S. National Development Program uh, and who was his line mate in um in the world juniors in Canada. So uh, he had a very good tournament and, you know, over the past 10 years, there's only been, I think five Americans, five other Americans that have uh, finished in the top three in scoring 
at the uh, the World Juniors, and you know some names are Clayton Keller and Trevor Zedris, uh, that kind of caliber of player. So the the tournament that he had bodes well. And you know one thing that I talked to him about that was interesting was uh, during that tournament he he was found around the net a, a ton. You know he was he was mixing up and and getting uh, to those loose putts and finding putts in tight spaces. And uh, one thing he mentioned was, yeah, I, I realized that sixty to seventy percent of the goals in the NHL come from right around the net. And so when I was younger, I was a dangle guy and, and my shot is, you know, obviously is, is a great shot. Uh, but to store at the next level, to store in college, to store in, in professional hockey, uh, needs to get to around the net front. And, uh, and he did that a lot during the tournament. And obviously combine that with the high skill plays he makes, uh, you know, there were some rush plays in transition where, you know, it's a little uh, stick handle and then a backhand pass to wide open guy. Uh, it was really impressive to see what he did and uh, and kind of where that goes moving forward and how he develops more in Minnesota. Yeah, it just all it just checking all the boxes and maybe you know maybe he gets here a, a year sooner than maybe they anticipated. Okay, a couple more topics here on the net front. Uh, JT, a lot of fans wonder what's with the uh, overtime strategy where teams are super cautious, where they uh, will they'll take the puck back out of the offensive zone, sometimes all the way back into their own zone, regroup, reset regroup reset how cautious they are but and, and that that's kind of boring that's not what you really like about the three on three but it's you see why teams do that because last night jt my guy jonathan huberto who's just absolutely killing one of my fantasy hockey teams just killing it um he makes a stupid play he he decides well, i'm going to go in with a you know with a very limited you know with not a lot of room to work he decides to go for it loses the puck two on one the other way game over i think we see why that whole sequence which was what 28 seconds is all that took and and the overtime i think that's that should remind fans why teams are careful about attacking the net even playing three on three in overtime yeah yeah if uh if there's a rush going the other way you're in big trouble with only three players on the ice a a very nice play by by Justin Falk to, to poke the uh, puck away. You know, the whole theory, part of the theory about, uh, yeah, we're going to take it back out of the blue line. We're going to, we're going to be cautious as uh, the players say, well, they're, they're trying to tire out the other team. Well, if the other team is just sitting in their own zone, watching you skate around in the neutral zone, I, I don't think they're getting, uh, they're getting tired, tired out. But uh, so Huber, Huberto is, uh, is killing your fantasy team. What's happened to Calgary? They were so dy- they were so dynamic last year. I know Kachuk has the physical element, the pest element to the game, but he's also a highly skilled player. You'd watch <clears throat> that line of Lindholm and and Johnny Hockey and Kachuk last year it would take your breath away. They just look kind of like a heavy plotting team to me. Although, as you much to your uh, amazement last night, uh, Mylon uh, Lucic uh, turned into a rush player on that at one goal, but. They, they look like a, just a totally different team this year. Yeah, Matt, that's the last topic I wanted to hit on the net front. You know, you've seen a lot of Daryl Sutter coach teams, and, um, you know, you certainly saw the Flames play so well last year with that awesome top line. And so many guys having remarkable years. Uh, Johnny Hockey, uh, obviously Kachuk, uh, Lindholm's a fine player. Well, now they've distributed. They bring in Nazem Kadre, and he's just been okay. Uh, Huberto probably less than okay. Um, they just, they've spread down. I mean, the Backlund line played pretty well last night, but, you know, and Mangiapane had a great game and Backlund did as well. They've kind of distributed their, their skills. So now they've got three lines that theoretically should be okay, but nothing too dynamic. I don't just don't like the look of that team, Matt. I, I, 
you know, they got, they had the blues down and they just, that third period, my God. And, you know, from reading Eric Francis and, and some of the other scribes that cover that team regularly, eh, it, it's, I, I just, I, what do you see? I, I, I just shake my head. Yeah. Before we get to the flames, I just had one, one thing on overtime. So I heard a, a suggestion the other day to make the red line kind of like the, you know, half court in basketball in terms of uh, a backcourt violation in, in overtime. So once, once you, once you cross the red line, uh, you can't go back across it. And, and if not, it'll be a penalty or, or a stoppage of play or something. Uh, you can still exit the, the offensive zone at the blue line. Right. But it feels like that kind of suggestion would, uh, would liven things up and uh, kind of get more of that, that herky jerky mistake filled overtime. That's a lot more fun to watch. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Well, I love it. I love that. That is a great idea. We're, we're all for chaos here at the Netflix. <laughs> you know, in entertainment, you know, whatever happens. Okay, but on, under the flames, what is Matt yeah. thinking, what you're watching, which I just watched bitter beer face uh, Sutter there on the bench thinking, does he have, is he out of answers? I don't With this group, maybe he is. It's funny because you look at, at the things that are valued, uh, you know, as far as contending teams go. And it's a deep blue line, which I think Calgary probably has one of the best ones in the league. And that's even without Oliver Shillington, who's hurt right now. Uh, but you look at that group and there's a, a ton of guys that can do a lot of things. And uh, then you look at the goaltender and, and Jacob Markstrom was it was a Vezina finalist last year. Uh, he went toe to toe with Jay Gottinger in, in the first round of the, the playoff series against Dallas last year. Obviously, he had a, he had a bad, bad second round against Edmonton. Um, but he's still a good goalie. And then you, know, you look at depth down the middle and those three centers that they can trot out with Lindholm, Kadri, and Bathlands, that's that's a pretty good one, two, three you have there. Uh, but they're just, they're missing the the other kind of top line elements. And I think they thought that, that Huberto would provide that kind of Johnny Gaudreau replacement as a playmaker and, and do things that he could do there. And Kadri could be the agitator uh, uh, like Matthew, Matthew Kachuk was before. Uh, but you see Dylan Dubé on the top line and Milan Lucic on the second line. And, uh, you know, as we talked about guys miscast and roles earlier on the blues, you wonder if they just have too many top nine forwards and not enough top six forwards in Calgary. Uh, maybe, you know, some of the guys that they brought in Calgary, Huberto aren't producing like they did before. And I think it's, it's, it's something that I've seen before, where a guy spends a decade in a, in a team and comes in his first year and he's not very good. That was, that was the way that Joe Pavelski was in Dallas. He spent all that time in San Jose, he came in, scored 15 goals for the stars. Now he's a point per game player uh, a few seasons later. So I think it's not uncommon to see a guy like Huberto play with Alexander Barkov for years and years in Florida and have that chemistry uh, with a top top end player and come in now and, and kind of struggle. And so uh, I think it's new pieces fitting in and, and, kind of a lack of maybe a winger depth almost after losing Gaudreau and Kachuk. So you convinced me I will not give up on Huberto. I mean, he may kill me this year, but next year he'll drop in the draft and I'll, I'll take him thinking that, uh, that bounce back year. Okay. You got, you're helping me out, helping me out yeah. psychologically. At least I, he may be able to pay me back next year for what he's done to me this year. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of the net front. We were so glad to have Matt Franks. Tremendous acquisition. The Dallas morning news, one of the powerhouse sports, uh, pages uh, in in all of the country a long a tempo setter for for the whole industry really and to, to get him 
from there. And, and then, you know, we lost Tom Timmerman. And I'm not going to say it's like getting rid of Yori Laterra and getting Braden Shen and, you know, in the same deal because Tom did a great job and he's going off to cover soccer for us and do a phenomenal job with that. But we did get a tremendous, tremendous get here. So, Matt, thank you. Uh, for JT, thanks, thanks to you. For all of our listeners, tell your friends about it. we got a reconfigured uh, net front presence, but we'll be back uh, week after week to break it down for you. So until next time, for Matt, for Jim, I'm Jeff. See you.